In the gospel reading that we just heard, in various ways, we heard three times the word glory. And the hymns that we have been singing and that beautiful piece that we just heard during the Gloria is all about this word glory. In the Hebrew scriptures, the word glory is kavad or hod. In Greek, it's doxa, like the word doxology. And of course, in Latin, it's gloria. The dean of Canterbury Cathedral, uh, reflecting on this word, shared that one way you could describe what glory is, is glory is that for which there are no words. Technically speaking, in the Hebrew scripture, when God was seen, it was such a powerful radiance, a blinding light, that it was actually something to be afraid of. And it was believed that you actually could not see God yourself and live. Moses somehow was able to see God and was able to meet with him, and then he'd come down from the mountains and remember how his face would be shining after he'd been spending time with God. And his face was shining so strongly that he had to put a veil over his face for the protection of all the people. It's a powerful thing, and so when we hear about glory tonight, when the angel comes, the messenger, and he meets with all the shepherds who are out in the field, remember the first thing that is said to the shepherds by the angel is, don't be afraid. There's that moment where the glory of the Lord shone around them, and it says they were terrified. The King James translation, which I always think about the Peanuts special, they were sore afraid. But the angel says, don't be afraid. And then the heavenly host come, and they share the good news with the shepherds. Irenaeus, Saint Irenaeus, who lived in only the second century, had something to say about glory and us. He said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. I have a story that I feel compelled to share tonight, even though it's not really a Christmas story. But it took place at this time of year, and it happened in the place that I'm from. So I grew up outside of a place called Santa Barbara, California. And that's where all my family is. And before moving here in the summer, uh, we lived to the north of there about four hours. And two years ago, you may have seen this in the news, there was a horrible fire during December. It burned almost the whole month of December. It was a wildfire that covered the hillsides above Santa Barbara and Ventura. 440 square miles were burned. And for reference, I looked it up. The city, the District of Columbia, is 68 square miles. It's a huge amount of space. And it was a terrible thing, and the people in Santa Barbara really didn't get to enjoy the Christmas season very much. And I got to be there right after the fire, and it smelled like ash. But then in January, another horrible thing happened, which was coming on the heels of the fire, and that was a great mudslide. Technically speaking, it was more than a mudslide, it was a debris flow. Half an inch of rain fell within five minutes at 3.30 in the morning on January 9th. And so everything became 
released from the hillsides, mud and trees and rocks and boulders the size of Volkswagen bugs came flying down into a part of Santa Barbara and homes were destroyed. Tragically, 23 people died. Two were never discovered, probably washed into the ocean. Cars were washed into the sea. We lived there when we were newly married and our daughter was little and our pediatrician we're still in touch with. She and her husband climbed up into the second floor of their home as mud filled up the bottom of their house. And as things were subsiding, they climbed out onto their roof and then onto their neighbor's roof and down into the garage and they heard a sound outside in the mud and her husband went and reached to where he heard the sound and there was a child and they were able to rescue the child who was in four feet of mud. And saved, the helicopter brought them to safety and they saved the child's life. A friend of mine who was a retired priest and his wife, in the middle of the night at that hour, they were hearing everything hitting their walls of their home. They got out of bed and just in time, they were to the side of the room when the whole garage from their neighbor's house came and slammed into their bedroom, making their bed pushed all the way up to the ceiling filling their house with all the sports equipment and the Christmas lights from the outside and everything going into there. So this happened in January, and I was at a church where I served in Central Coast, California, like I said, to the north of there. And we had begun a ministry, a partnership of getting people of faith of different traditions together. We had groups Muslims, Jews, and Christians, and we would come together, and this is a side point, but I found that when we got together, we would always do it around service, serving those in need, and for us, for me, to be among joyful Jews and among joyful Muslims makes me a more joyful Christian. There was something contagious about our gatherings. And so at one of our planning meetings, and we were wondering what the next action we were going to take would be, I said, maybe we should get some vans and go down to Santa Barbara and help shovel people out, out of the mud that has filled their homes. Because after that event, this is one of the beautiful things that happens sometimes after a tragedy. Neighbors, people whose homes were not affected, felt that they needed to give back. And so hundreds of volunteers would show up giving up their entire weekends and shoveling out these homes. And it was thankless, not very glorious work. You put on your, your face mask, you wear a suit perhaps for protection, big boots and gloves, and all day getting blisters, you're just shoveling the mud. And it is one of the most fulfilling and wonderful things a person can do. And so we went down, us Jews, Muslims, and Christians, we had it was kind of an international experience. We had people from Senegal, from Pakistan, from other parts of California, from Brooklyn, and you can guess which faiths we're talking about. <laughs> and people were excited for us to be there, but we were excited for them to be there and for us to be able to be a part of it. And after a day spending, uh, spending our time doing that work, there was a radiance. Even though we were covered in dirt and worse, and we were tired, we were filled. It was glory. 
I look at the ministry of this church, this church that has been blessed to be in this space for more than 200 years, gathering like we are tonight. And there's glory here at St. John's, but the glory that we get to experience and taste in this space right now and, and whenever we gather, it's not about the history of this remarkable place or this beautiful room. The glory comes from God. And we are blessed to be able to behold it, to receive it, and to let it light our lives so that we can share that light with others. I think that is the Christian message, that light has come into the world, to the dark places where the light is most needed. God came to the world to be like us, I believe, so that we might learn to be like him. As the great William Sloan Coffin put it, he said, God came as a baby at Christmas so that we might finally grow up. And so perhaps the old understanding is exactly the opposite of the truth. It's not that you cannot see the glory of God and live. Rather, you cannot really live unless you see the glory of God. And this is our job description as people of faith to take that glory and to bear it for a world that is ready for it. Amen.